At this hour, the Heart Board is meeting to talk about the progress being made as we get closer to the summer switchover when the Honolulu Authority for Rapid Transportation turns over the first segment of the rail line to the city. That is supposed to happen in July. This morning, Honolulu's Deputy Director of of transportation, John Ouchi, jumped on a bus to join us in studio. Uh, DTS is set to assume control of the rail system from the west side to the Aloha Stadium station once safety testing is complete and verified. But there is so much underway now leading up to this grand opening. There's so much that we want to communicate to the public, and I think for our department, we're going to be reaching out a lot more through both the series of Mayor's Town Hall meetings, and we're also going to be increasing our presence at neighborhood boards and community associations. And really, if any group wants us to show up and just talk story about rail, I think we really want to do that for them. It's just important to have as much good information out there about probably the most transformative generational piece of infrastructure that we're opening in multiple generations. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. We've waited so long. We've watched the price tag go up. It's still not complete, but we're, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, you folks have been working to look at the bus schedules because that's key in in doing the spoke and hub system, right? So, So talk about that. So I think one of the first things I want to touch on is even if you don't use transit now, we want everybody to have a holo card in their wallet or purse. Now, the holo card is gateway to transit and transportation in Honolulu, and it will soon be available to use to pay for parking. All the bids we put up for parking, so even like the lots in Kaimuki or even the downtown Chinatown lots and our upcoming parking meters, once those are procured, on a certain timeline, we'll accept holo. That's a great idea. Yeah, so I mean, it's not just a transit card, but it's a transportation card. So we really want everybody to have that, but why that's important for rail is we want to make sure everybody knows when rail opens, it's going to be treated just like any other bus route. So in terms of transferring to and from bus to rail, rail to bus, or you know any of your transfer privileges, the fare capping, your passes, they will work just the same on rail. Fares will be the same on rail. You know, it's just that easy. You know, there's no premium upcharge for rail. A lot of people were very suspicious that we would charge more for rail because the infrastructure costs some money, and it's a different piece than buses. But we're treating everything in the same ohana, that rail and bus just interchange and transfer is just seamless. So we're looking at potentially sometime in summer for the launch. And I have seen the trains being tested out on the on the guideways, you know, more frequently now on the weekends when I drive over to the west side. And so is there going to be a, a community day at any of the stations or, or are we just, just so close to the opening? So we're actually aiming for in the month of July to have a grand opening to celebrate rail opening. And we will be inviting our elected officials and just community stakeholders and and even our Washington, D.C. federal partners to come if they're able to and enjoy this grand opening. I mean, all eyes will be on this city. This is the first new start that's opening in the U.S. in probably, gee, maybe a good 15 years. There hasn't been a high-profile new transit project that's opened up in many, many, many years. So everybody was kind of watching how the construction was going and, you know, the issues related to that. And I think this grand opening will represent kind of a new start for this transit project and really give it some time to flex and kind of take flight, so to speak, 
and it'll be a good, smooth transition, we're hoping, between the construction phase and the operating phase. And that's really where it, the handoff happens between HART and my department, the Department of Transportation Services. So there'll be hoopla in July, but do you think we'll be able to see what, I don't know, soft openings, like you know, small sections at a time, just to kind of see how things go? The way that the commissioning works and the safety certifications work, we will open very soon after we receive all the final safety certifications from both the state Department of Transportation and the Federal Transit Administration. So as soon as we have custody of the system, we're going to open it. And after we open it, we will continue to do events around showing off the stations, introducing the stations to the neighborhoods. These very large stations in these neighborhoods, I think people know where they are just because they've been you know, in construction. But we want to show people the features of it. And we want to attract people to the stations with activities and other resources. You know, one of my goals is to overcome kind of the food desert that occurs in some of these new upcoming neighborhoods and even our existing neighborhoods. So we've been working with our Department of Parks and Recreation to maybe expand and move some of the people's open markets to be concurrent on certain days at rail stations. And so in the PM commute hours, people can just get off of the trains And at the station, we want to have the availability of fresh produce and things like that. We've just met with Aloha Stadium to coordinate their whole schedule of events. Understanding the stadium is maybe not part of that, but the stadium still is an activity center with the swap meet, and they're going to have concerts and and other things there, 50th State Fair. So we want to make sure that the station is a resource for everyone as they get to learn to use it this summer for some of the events that the stadium has. So we're really looking at all the partners that are along the rail lines, Pro Ridge, Kamakana Ali'i, and some of the other just retail centers that are there, and just making sure that all the neighborhoods around it can realize what these stations are and how they'd be good focal points of the community. And I'm not sure at these rail stations, you know, as far as vendors, if there aren't, let's say, a retail space nearby. And once you launch the farmer's markets, the people's open market, you know, I don't know, is there room in there for the for the food trucks to come in? I mean, I don't know. There may be. And I think that's what we're exploring right now. If we had gotten custody of the system or were able to have a little bit more time before we opened, we would likely have had more community events on the ground level of the stations. But as it is right now, everyone's speeding towards certification and we don't want to interrupt that process. If we can get the system turned over so that we can operate it and turn it on for everyone, we would much rather get that done and then we can introduce the activities after that point. When we talked to Lori Kaikina, the CEO of Hart, I know she was talking about all the testing that had to be done. Are we on schedule? I think that our operator, Hitachi, has really exceeded our expectations in terms of achieving a certain level of of success and performance in terms of the different metrics that they get tested on in operating a full service day over a long period of time. They recently reached a 98.5% average in successful operations a few Sundays ago, and that triggers a lot of motion forward to turning the system over to DTS. Okay, so hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, no, and know. We just don't want delays. No, and I think we're at a point right now where I think most delays are foreseeable at this point. And as each week goes by and as they run the system in and burn the system in, I think we get a clearer picture about when that opening day is. And the, the couple of things that we do anticipate into the future, and this is more on the heart side, they still have to fix the hammerhead issues. On the columns. Yes, and we still have to get safety certification from the state and the feds, and that's not really in the city's control, but we don't anticipate there to be any large problems on the horizon. 
we've been working very closely with our state and federal partners on this, and I think we anticipate that to go pretty smoothly. We've been hearing from Honolulu Deputy Transportation Director John Nouchi about the transition of the rail project from Hart to the city later this summer. And we'll continue our conversation with him right after a short break. Support for HPR comes from Ulu Ocean Grill and Sushi Lounge, located oceanfront at Four Seasons Resort Hualalai, serving dinner nightly. Chef Nuri PCO features pan-Pacific dishes inspired by on-site and local island growers. Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, committed to an equitable and thriving Hawaii, supporting initiatives such as affordable housing, fresh water, and the healthy development of young children. HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. Let's get back to our conversation with GTS Deputy Director Don Nucci about the transition plans as the first segment of the rail system is about to open to the public. We asked about the concerns for security on the driverless trains along the nine stations in this first segment. You know, in terms of the stations, we have three levels of security at the stations and on board the trains. We have our level one security provided by Hitachi, the operator. They have station attendants and people that randomly ride trips on the train to just have some presence. And it's more of a friendly type of presence. They're dressed in customer service attire. We also have a level two security, which is contracted security by DTS that has more of a law enforcement official type presence on the platforms and on the train. Should we have any any issues that the Hitachi's level one can't resolve easily. And so that level one security would hand off to our level two security. If things were to escalate from there and require a more official police presence, then we hand off to HPD as our level three. And so our goal is we've seen what's happened in other cities where crime and other issues have plagued the transit system and made them very much less desirable to use since the pandemic. And we have our eye on that, and we will not let our system deteriorate to that level, especially since we have a brand new system. We want it to be a point of pride for everyone, how clean, how spacious, and how safe our system is. So that's why we've designed these three levels of security to ensure that the operations are very safe for our passengers. And I know the council is concerned about the operating hours. I mean, you want it to be useful for people who are going to jump on the train. But at the same time, yeah, you got to make sure that, you know, you've got people manning the facilities. Yeah, and I think, you know, most of the concern comes from looking at rail on its own. You can look at the rail line, the 10.75 miles, the nine stations that we're going to open in July, and look at it and go, well, on its own, that doesn't seem like enough. But remember, we're talking about an ohana of services. It's not just rail on its own. Rail is not lifting all the heavy weight by itself. Most of the people that will ride rail will start their trip on a bus. That much we know. And as such, we've designed a very supportive bus network to actually bring people down to the stations and operate in concert in parallel with rail. In fact, along the corridor that rail operates now on Kamehameha and Farrington Highways, we have a very supportive bus network of about six routes that actually ply the roads below and do local service that actually do all the stops between the rail stations, too, that provide that circulation. And, in fact, we've had since the year 2000, most people don't even know, 
we have a 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. We have a Route 40 that operates all night, and it pretty much mirrors the route of rail. And so in the absence of rail closing after 7 p.m., you know, we do have still have a lot of bus service out there operating along that same alignment. And the time difference, you know, at that time of day is not hugely different. I mean, rail will always be faster than operating in mixed traffic. But we also looked a few years ago when we when these hours were established at the first 10.7 miles and where all the passengers were and the times when people rode. And we we tend to have a very early ridership in this city. I think it's based on our, our labor, our strong labor routes. So that's why we started it earlier on weekdays. And we found that after 7 p.m., the ridership really drops off pretty sharply. What can you tell us about the park and rides? So we will have three park and rides upon opening. We will have one at the UH West Oahu station and on the Mauka side of Ho'opili. The next station, the actual Honouli'uli Ho'opili station, will have another large park and ride accessible from within the Ho'opili neighborhood. And the third parking ride will be at the Halava Aloha Stadium station. And so we envision that to maybe be useful for people who want to park and ride and go to Kapolei. So there's all this reverse commute. People always think about rail as bringing everybody into downtown, but it's really bringing everybody to where they're going to go between Kapolei and Halava right now. One of the, the most interesting coordinations we've been doing is with the Navy. They're going to be doing a lot of construction in the shipyard and expect a large influx in the thousands of new workers. So... Rail might be opening at a very good time for them. What we understand from the, the Navy is that at the shipyard, they don't have any more parking. They don't have enough parking for the people that they have. So the fact that we're opening nearly 11 miles of rail in a corridor that parallels and basically embraces Pu'uloa, all of Pearl Harbor, in addition to lassoing in, you know, they have Navy housing and other things along the way. I think we want to work with them to see if there's a way that all these new employees are going to come in. Maybe they park and ride, and we then take them from the Aloha Stadium station into the shipyard. So even for housing, for people that might have to come in and work on this island during this time frame, I think that'll be a very good symbiotic relationship. Yeah, that's a great idea if we can coordinate that. Great timing. So we have been talking at high levels with the Navy on that. Yeah, because that would uh, really ease some of the pressure on the highways. And, you know, the, what we really want to strive for is when we have some of these connections at the rail stations, some of these connections are very frequent, and they match the frequency of the train. So one thing important to know is whenever the train operates, so weekdays between 5 a.m. and 7 p.m. and weekends between 8 a.m. and 7 p.m., the train will always operate every 10 minutes. And the reason why we designed it like that, frequency is really king in using a system like this. And, you know, we wanted to take advantage of the fact that our systems are not driverless, so we're not paying labor technically to operate these trips. And what we really wanted to do was give people the reason to look upwards and go, you know, there's going to be a train coming really soon. You know, supposing I just see one pass by, it'll take me about three minutes to get up to the platform. I'll wait another, you know, six or seven minutes and I'll be on my way. And I think that guarantee to people, that guarantee of frequency, of reliability is huge. So on both ends of the rail alignment at Halava Aloha Stadium and at the Kualaka East Kapolei, we have connecting bus services that operate at the same frequencies that will express people. So on the, the west side at East Kapolei, from actually UH West Oahu and East Kapolei, the last two stations, we will run a parallel bus that will take people down Kualakai Parkway 
to Hawaiian homesteads to Kamakana Ali'i through the villages of Kapolei, through downtown Kapolei, and all the way out to Kapolei Commons every 10 minutes. Well, so you really want to coordinate all of this and, and yes. connect it for people. You talked about workers. I just jumped on your website this morning, and you're advertising. You want to be a, a part of the team uh, on rail? I mean, you folks are looking for workers as well. Yeah, especially for our operations side. We want to make sure that, again, our goal is to receive this system but keep it in a pristine condition, you know, that deserves all the generations of work that have gone into actually making this opening happen. We want to make sure that we can maintain the system in a very high quality capacity. And you are working with, I think, West Oahu, right, for training programs for some of the operators? I think uh, Hart has some agreements with Leeward Community College. They're really the right neighbor right next door to the Rail Operations Center out in that Waiava area. So really opportunity for that west side, whether it's for jobs or just getting an an alternative to getting into work or school. So really, it's an exciting time. It really is exciting. And, you know, we've really been happy to work with the UH system on this because, you know, right now, you know, we look at some of these campuses and we serve them with bus service. But now they're going to be getting a train every 10 minutes in both directions. So, I mean, that's unprecedented access for students. And I hopefully the university can use that as a great recruitment tool for accessibility. Now, I'm not saying anybody would do this, but we've set up all the connective routes to actually, you could take a bus and transfer once to rail and get to Leeward Community College and UH West Oahu with only one transfer. So their catchment of how easy it is to get to the campus is just vastly expanded now. We are going to be going out into the community, and we want to be able to really sit down with the users of the system now and explain how we're converting our current bus system over to a multimodal system with bus and rail and how they might be able to best use that to their ability. Now, most notably, in that corridor between Leeward Community College and Halava, the last time we really did any really significant service expansion out there, I think we looked at it in the 1970s when those neighborhoods were coming up, you know, like Newtown and Royal Summit and the Pearl City area. And the services we have there were designed for when those communities were like bedroom communities. We're now looking at all-day service, more frequent service, and going into a lot of different neighborhoods to bring them down to that joining point with rail to the stations and so that people have all-day access. So it's really going to be transformative. Yes, and you know, it might not be immediately transformative. The access will be there, but it does take people a lot of time to give up some old habits, right? But also, generationally, things might have changed. You might have kupuna that bought their first house in these neighborhoods, and because the transit service wasn't where it needed to be, maybe they bought a car and they've been using a car all this time. And they might give it up. (laughs) They could maybe give it up now that they have better access. And, you know, it's all a move of us being an age-friendly city. That was DTS Deputy Director John Nouchi talking with us about what to expect as we look toward the opening of the rail system in July.
support for HPR comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at Mobi.com. Our reality check today is a story by Honolulu Civil Beat editor Chad Blair. What's coming to light about a freshman lawmaker? Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Catherine. This is quite a story. I mean, wow, it was pretty shocking when I read it this this morning. Yeah, and I should thank you. Thank you is the right word. Uh, it, it is still developing. Uh, uh, it's it's very new. In fact, there's some updates already. But in essence, there was a, a what no one disputes is that there was a gathering at the House Speaker's office uh, about six weeks ago, March third, to be precise. That was the first decking deadline of coming to ledge. I recall that that's you know sort of the first hurdle really, and there was a, a pauhana a party uh, in his office at the Capitol. Uh, reports of alcohol consumption, and at some point, several sources told me, granted anonymity, so that they could speak, that it appears that there was the threat on the part of Natalia Burdick, she's the freshman lawmaker that you identified, to inform the police that people were getting drunk and might be getting into their cars. Um, we don't quite know what happened. Uh, we did check with the House Sergeant of Arms who said that they did not think the police were called. Uh, whether or not you can drink in the building, I don't think you can. We are having queries into the Department of Accounting and General Services. But no one is also disputing the fact that Natalia Hussey Burdick was championing the bill, a bill on midwives, a bill that was that died, a bill that Kyle Yamashita, the finance chair, did not hear, and so the question is raised, was there some sort of retaliation, and did the House leaders that retaliated come? These are all questions I can't answer directly, because again, these events are unfolding, and this happened six weeks ago, but it is a, a, a dramatic story. It is. I mean, my goodness, uh, I just can't remember, uh, you know, a, a story similar to this uh, in covering the ledge over the many years. I mean, it really is pretty shocking uh, that you would have something like this. And and you did uh, reach out to the representative? Oh, oh, absolutely. And in, in fact, uh, the representative did finally respond today. I, did, I texted her yesterday, tried calling her. She didn't want to comment. But this morning she did update on the record for the story saying that, that the midwives that she had been working with are, are not involved. So we did update the story to at least reflect her position on that. She then says she'd be sending a statement later today about what else had transpired. We haven't heard back. We did not hear from House Speaker Scott Psyche or Nadine Nakamura. She's the House Majority Leader. Um, we've reached out to House Communications again today to see whether there's a reaction on the part of the House to these allegations. Uh, and frankly, to Drinking. There was even talk that um, they might try and expel um, Natalia Hussey Burdick for, for what she did or did not do. That hasn't happened. She's still on the job. Of course, we're all talking a lot about what happened in Tennessee and expulsion. It hasn't risen to that level. But we're trying to find out more uh, what is going on. And so my guess is there will be a follow-up story uh, if and when we hear from leadership and, and the representative. Right. So what are the facts and, uh, you know, and how does that jive with the standards of conduct? Right. And I think ultimately that's what's hanging over this. I mean, Ty Cullen, Kalani English, it was the House itself, as you know, that that launched the Foley Commission to look into improving the way things work there ethically and so forth. And so that just sort of casts this dark cloud uh, over what has transpired. Okay. Intriguing story, but we'll look, uh, look for a follow up. But thanks so much, Chad. 
Thanks, Catherine. That was Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair. You can read his story at civilbee.org. Support for HPR comes from Hakawone in Kaka'ako Makai, where OHA plans to create a Hawaiian space in an urban setting, committed to building a neighborhood where all are welcome and where Hawaiian culture thrives. Hakawone.com. Support for HPR comes from Green Building Hawaii, providing energy and sustainability consulting services throughout the islands, featuring LEED certification services for residential and commercial building projects. Learn more at GreenBuildingHawaii.com. You are back with the conversation. Today we meet a Big Island woman who uses her experience growing up with Asperger's and ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, to inspire other young women. 22-year-old Elena Ala Nakoa graduates this May with a bachelor's degree in communications. She's also running for Miss Hawaii Island USA. The conversations Lillian Song talk with Nakoa about living on the spectrum. I was originally born in Kealakekua side on the Big Island on the west side. And I was raised between KL and Hilo on the east side. And I never really noticed that there was anything wrong with me until I was about 10 years old. I was wondering, why was I going to the doctor so much? Why are they putting all these things on my head? It didn't really fully click that I had ADHD or autism, you know, something mentally related until I was about maybe 13 or 14 when I started going to therapy for it and I didn't really feel like I was different from other kids when I realized that I had ADHD and autism I had to figure out what it was what that meant you know how it alters my perspective compared to most children and so just sharing in the early years of being diagnosed I was just trying to get a grasp on myself before I could grasp like anything else Right now, you're 22, so this would have been the 2000s. Yeah, like right when the 2010s were starting was when, from 2010 to 2020, was the exact time frame of when I was just trying to figure it out, essentially. And how people see it is way different from how we see it now. It's so much more normalized. More people are becoming aware or self-aware of how these affect people and how we change our communication. It was not like that back in the early 2000s, for sure. And I think that's kind of what made it harder for me to figure things out. And, you know, I actually, during my fashion show that I had last night, people found out that I was autistic, and they're like, what? Like, people, it cracks me up every single time. I I tell someone that I'm autistic because I always get a different reaction. And they're like, well, I didn't even know you had autism because I'm trained not necessarily mask it, but work with it. Traditionally, when people think autistic, they think Down syndrome or they think lower functioning spectrum disorders. But Asperger's essentially is just your brain is very, your approach is either very creative or very logical. The behavioral aspect is the main thing you really have to look out for. Every kid's different. Every kid shows their symptoms differently. For me, it was very speech heavy. I wasn't speaking, and I sometimes still don't give as much eye contact. Growing up, when I used to talk to people, I used to look around them and not at them. Okay. 
And now I'm a little better at giving eye contact because it's a strong thing within my career. It's a vital aspect to have. But I know, I remember growing up as a kid, my terminology wasn't always that great. The way I spoke, what words I used, what tones I used. And in a very stressful situation, you have to really think on the spot, but my brain is kind of like freaking out a lot, overstimulating. So how they react in high intensity situations matters too. You made this conscious decision to get your bachelor's in communication from the University of Hawaii at Hilo. And so I'm talking to Elena, who's gone through two and a half years of training. Essentially, if I'm a better communicator, I have a better time sharing my perspective and sharing my story. Because not every kid has that ability to fluently talk about how their experience is. It's easier now, but when I first started out, I did a lot of general communications or communications within the workplace because it was something that I was experiencing being a part-time worker in the customer service industry. But as I was taking those classes, I did take a class that was focused on communication and conflict, which was probably one of my favorite courses ever because it taught me different argumentative styles and how to approach them. So. Taking classes related to conflict or relating to critical thinking really was the most effective for me because a lot of my communication, especially in adulthood, faulted when it came to negative situations or very stressful situations, conflict, arguments. Even though I was an effective communicator, I didn't know how to use my words properly. I didn't know how to approach an argument without freaking out. And so after doing a lot of critical thinking focus classes within my major, I felt that I grew. Now I'm able to interpret situations a lot better than I used to, and I don't freak out as quickly, which is super duper important. It's wonderful to hear how you're so self-aware and congratulations, you are going to be graduating, getting your bachelor's degree from UH Hilo this May? Yes. Yay. You know, you set that goal for yourself. (laughs) You've got it. And now you've also, tell me more about how you got into pageantry. I actually had a friend that recommended that I try it last year. And for a really long time, I've always watched pageants. I loved how women used it as a platform to advocate for issues that were happening within their community. You know, obviously the pageant world, the modeling world in general was very, there was a certain mold. And so for me, I never, for a really long time, I didn't feel that I was worthy of being a pageant girl. And so last year, I finally decided to just say, hey, why not? I actually ran in Miss Hawaii Island, USA, and I was kind of like a deer in the headlights going in there. Although I was really stressed out, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. So now that I'm in my second year running for Miss Hawaii Island, USA, I know sort of what to expect. And... I'm very advocate platform focused, so my platform obviously is autism inclusion and intellectual disability inclusion because I'm trying to essentially prove or show other girls, young women, anyone with autism who are on the spectrum or who have an intellectual disability that you could literally do anything you set your mind to. You could be a lawyer, you could be a doctor, you could be a scientist, you could be a radio personality if you wanted to. <laughs> Very nicely put. And so our time is winding down, but see that you are working with Best Buddies in Hawaii. Share with me more about your work with them. Best Buddies is incredibly 
it's one of the most well-known organizations that focus on intellectual disabilities. For me, the fact that they work with pageants, because it has such a large platform, I knew that if I could connect with them as soon as I could, I could get my story out faster. And the friendship walk that we're having this month, there's going to be one on April 22nd on Oahu, and then April 29th on Maui and Hawaii Island, which I will be at the Hawaii Island one. They try to not only bring awareness, but to have people be engaged in what it's like, to give people an insight. So they're very hands-on with how they approach the platform. And that's something I really appreciate because it's not something I got to have as a child. And because when I first encountered them I, and I saw what they did, I knew they were an organization that I wanted to approach because I felt it was the best way to get my story out faster and be able to learn things from other kids with intellectual disabilities. I feel like I can learn so much more from them than I could just going through life. You know, I really eventually learned how can I embrace it first? And then once I figured it out, I just, I chose to embrace it. This applies to anyone who's in the spectrum or not, you know, whatever obstacle you're going through, turn it into something that you can embrace. Make it yours, make it something that you can look back on it and say, I went through this and because I went through this, I am a stronger person than I was back then. And I feel that pageantry is just a really big microphone for me to just tell people, hey, I'm a kid on the spectrum and I'm doing this because I want to show other kids my perspective and I want to show them that they can do anything they want. That was HPR's Lillian Song and Leonala uh, Nakoa uh, talking about living on the autism spectrum. To mark Autism Acceptance Month, Best Buddies in Hawaii is hosting Friendship Walks on April 22nd and 29th on Oahu, Maui, and Hawaii Island. Look for details on the conversation page of our website later today. And that is it for our show. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation. Now back to Pledge Central.